So if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Hebrews um, chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And this is um, what the author says. Okay, Hebrews is towards the back of the Bible, and if you don't have it on your Bible, if you don't have your Bible, we have it right up here. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So when what what the author is saying here is that we're in a race. And when you talk about perseverance, we're not talking about, you know, a, a, a sprint. Okay, we're talking about a long-distance race. And I know some of you here are marathon runners, and you understand that more than guys like myself who are sprinters, and we weren't long-distance runners. But he says to throw off everything that hinders you. Meaning when you're getting ready for a marathon and you're getting dressed, you don't put on fatigues. You don't put on combat boots. You don't have this belt weighed down with water and all of the things that you might need as you run that course. Why? Because that's going to hinder you. And yet so many times in us, when we take a look at our spiritual lives, that's what we do. We understand it's a marathon. We get that. But then when we choose to dress ourselves, what do we do? We add on all of this stuff that entangles us, that prevents us from running the race that God has marked out for us. And he goes on to say, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of the faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It says, for the joy set before him. And what is that joy? The joy of what? Reconciling us back to God. The joy that he had of seeing those who were lost who are now found. The joy that he had to see those who are spiritually dead be spiritually alive. And then, you know, we're spiritually alive to do what? To run that race. And that's what they're cheering us. But some, it's so hard to run the race when we are, have so much baggage and so many things that we're carrying that just, you know, it just gets us tired and gets us fatigued. You know, Max Lucado says, don't go to God with options and expect him to choose one of your preferences. Isn't, don't we do that one, don't we do that when we seek the Lord? And this is putting on that baggage and saying, okay, God, you know, I trust you. I know you're going to help me, but these are my options. Could you pick one of these? You know, he says, go to him with empty hands, with no agendas, no cross fingers, nothing behind your back. As he Go to him with a willingness to do whatever he says. If you surrender your will, then he will equip you with everything good for doing his will. If you surrender your will. Now, for most of us, surrender is a negative concept. You know, because why? Surrendering means we're giving up. Surrendering means that, okay, we admit that we lost. And we want to cut 
um, the collateral damage. We don't like, you know, especially in our culture, we don't like to surrender. It's just not part of the American culture to surrender. But if we are not willing to surrender everything unto God, you know, then we won't be equipped to do every, any, everything that he wants to do. And this is what we all have to have. We all have to have a surrender moment. We all have to have that surrender moment. When all of a sudden we're in a lock and we just have to tap out and say, okay, God, you win. You win. I give up. You know, Job had that surrender moment. And, you know, Job was a a man who, he had everything. He was the richest man in the world. And then God has this conversation with Satan. And, you know, God, God said, hey, look at my servant Job down there. Hey, man, he's the best. There's nobody like him. Check him out. And Satan said, well, the only reason that he's righteous, the only reason that he follows you, the only reason that he obeys you is because you've given him everything. And says, okay, well, let's put this to the test. So God allowed Satan to, number one, take the life of his family. His children were all killed. He allowed Satan to take away his livelihood And his wealth, his business, his stock portfolio and everything, nothing. Nothing. The wealthiest man in the world has nothing. And then God allowed him to take, uh, saying to take away his health and gave him boils. Now you could just imagine what Job's going through. Hey, here I'm, God's, you know, he didn't know this conversation was going on, but, you know, God's bragging about this guy and all of these things, the most horrible things that we could probably think about, our biggest fears, God allows that to happen to Job, right? So finally, Job gets this audience with God. And each one of us, I know, if we've been through something really bad, we would want that. It's say, okay, God, I want an audience with you face to face, and you're going to have to explain to me why you allowed this to happen in my life. I want to know. I want to know. I deserve this. I deserve an answer. And so, Job gets an audience to God. And God goes, okay, Job, since you know so much, um, okay, I'll ask you questions, and you answer me. He goes, okay, so where were you when I laid down the foundations of the universe? Since you know so much, how was the universe created? And he goes, I was the one who created this earth. You know, since you know so much, you tell me how big this earth was, is. And so he goes on and on and on and on telling Job all of these things that God knows that Job is just clueless, clueless. And after that, in um, Job 38.1, this is Job's response. Then the Lord answered, excuse me, then the Lord answered no, I'm sorry, 42.1. And it said, Job replied to the Lord, I know that you know all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is it that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely 
I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. God never tells Job why he allowed to ha- this to happen. But Job came to the realization that God is God and that he wasn't. And he says, I spoke of things I didn't understand. Now, if anybody that lived on this faith of this earth who would probably, we would think, deserved an explanation, it would have been Job. But Job had a tap out moment there. He said, God, (laughs) you're God. You know everything. I apologize. I spoke out of turn. I spoke out of things I didn't understand. And then God blesses Job after that. So we all have to have this tap out moment. And I'm, if you're sitting here right now, I just want to think, are you fighting something? Are you wrestling with God right now? Does he have you in this chokehold and you're still trying to fight God rather than tapping out and saying, God, I give up. I surrender. And probably there's a good chance that, you know, there's a good portion of you, because I know that I've do, done this and I continue to do this. Why well, wrestle with God? Well, I think I knew more than him. But we need to tap out, just like Job did. And sometimes we have to tap out once twice because we might give up surrender certain things but other things hey no god i'm i'm in control of this i'll give you this i'll tap out on this but no this area my kids sorry god they're mine you know my career no you you know that's mine okay god i've got a headache you know please heal me okay that's yours you know but don't we do that We give God certain things. We tap out on certain things. But then there's certain things that we're going to wrestle with God because we think that, no, these are ours. We need to have that surrender moment on all of the things that are dearest to our heart if we want God to work in our lives. So what is the first thing we have to do? We have to give God our worries. You know, Psalm 55:22 it says, "Cast your cares on the Lord, and He will sta- sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken, or once again, He will never let um, the righteous be burdened." That's another word for being shaken, right there. And it's interesting. Once again, in our, I think, in our American worldview, we believe that if we are obedient to God, it will always result in a positive. Outcome. If I serve the Lord, if I read my scripture, if I obey the scripture, that'll always come out in a positive outcome. The problem with that is God views things with an eternal view. We view things in a present view. That while it's true that if we obey God, it'll always be a positive result eternally. Okay, And there's a big distinction there. Is if we serve and obey God, we will always have a positive outcome eternally. But it doesn't necessarily mean that we will have a positive result here on earth. Right? It doesn't mean that. You know, one of the things that we were 
um, talking about at this conference we were just at um, is that if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, you know, it's a, it's a, it's the pretty much the all stars of the faith. And, you know, the writer lists all of the men and women who were faithful women. And we say, wow, look at them. You know, look at the way they lived life. They were obedient. They trusted God. But then you look at the latter half of that. People were torn in two. People were thrown to the lions, right? So just because you're obedient to God doesn't necessarily mean that your outcomes will always be true. And I think that bothers us, and that's what we worry about, right? Because if you have the mindset that if you're just obedient to God, that things will, you know, you'll get a positive result, then there'd be no need to worry. But enough of us have been obedient to God, right? And we've seen the outcome not come out or play out the way we thought. And then it's like, okay, God, you know, I don't know now. You know, I'm worried. But what does he say? You know, if we are to move forward in life, we need to give God our worries. The next thing we need to do is give God your wounds. Give God your wounds. It says in Psalm 147.3, He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. And here he's talking about the nation of Israel who were exiled. They were taken away from their home. They were taken away from everything that they knew. And they were heartbroken. Okay. Today, are you ser- have you experienced, or maybe you're going through this right now, where you're heartbroken because God has taken you away from a place of familiarity? You know, maybe it's a loss of a relationship. Well, that relationship represented home to you. And all of a sudden, that's taken away, and you feel like you're in exile. Maybe you received bad news regarding your health. Or the health of a loved one. And up to this point, having good health was a place of security and familiarity with you. And all of a sudden, you hear this bad news. And then all of a sudden, you feel like, I'm exiled or I'm taken away from that. Because home is supposed to be a place of safety and care. And I think we'd all agree with that. In a perfect world, in the world that God created, home is supposed to be a place where there's safety, protection, care. Right? But some of you might not have gotten that at home. You know, you could have had the very opposite. Instead of safety and care, you could have had fear and abuse. Right? Fear and abuse. And those are the wounds that need to be healed. That you're holding on to this pain. That you're not willing to let it go. And when somebody causes you pain, there's only, you know, praise God, he gives us the tools to deal with that. When somebody causes us pain because they've done something to us, what's the remedy? What's God's remedy? It's to forgive. It's to forgive. Right? Not easy. Not easy when somebody calls, you know, hurts you. But see, God wants to release you from that pain. God doesn't want you to go through life hurting. God doesn't want you to go through life with this open wound. Why? Because all you do is you focus on that. 
And it's hard to focus on God. It's hard to focus on what he wants in your life if you're focusing on your wounds. And so what does God do? He gives us all the tools we need to live a life for him. And he says, you know, if you've been wounded, I understand that. Why? Because Jesus, Jesus was wounded. And what did Jesus say on the cross? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. So if you've been wounded, the remedy or healing comes when you forgive. When you forgive. You know, yet, you know we've recently yes, witnessed those horrible, horrible, um, that shooting in that Pittsburgh synagogue where 11 people, you know, were killed. And as horrible as that situation was, and we just think, God, what is going on in this country when mass shootings are more of the norm than something that's abnormal? You know, and I'm sure a lot of us, like, you know, I I couldn't believe when I heard that. I go, another one? Another one? And saying, God, what's going on? But you know, for those who loved those 11 who were killed, the remedy is still the same. They may not be willing or able to take that step now, but they can't live their life with anger and hatred toward this man who killed them just because they were thought that the Jews were helping this caravan. As hard as it is, that's the remedy for them too. Next thing we have to do is give God our wrongs. You know, when God's, um, when we think about doing God's work, a lot of us think that we're disqualified because of our past. You know, because um, of the things we did that that disqualifies us from living the life that, that we want. Meaning that, okay, God's given me this shape. Okay, I finally get it, that this is what God created me to do. But I really can't do that. Why? Because I have a past. You know, if they only knew, they would ask me to step down from ministry. Or if they only knew my past, they would never ask me to serve. What does it say in scripture? It says, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He's talking about giving you rest from trying to earn brownie points with God. He's giving you rest from trying to work so hard at being good that it's become a burden to you. Romans 8, 1. I love this verse. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love that verse. There is no condemnation. Yes, we all mis- make mistakes, but God does not condemn us. Because why? Well, in John 1, 9, 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You know he doesn't qualify our sins. He doesn't say, I will only forgive the little sins. But you know the big ones you commit? You know, sorry. You know, you should have known better. 
No. God said, look, if you confess your sin, anything that you commit, that I am going to not only forgive you, but I'm going to purify you. And I want you to know that I see you as righteous and holy, not as this sinner. And this is what the promise we have in Scripture. You know, Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. And we all try to do that, right? We all try to conceal our sin, and that's crazy when we try to do that with a God who knows everything. But he says, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. We serve a merciful God. We serve a forgiving God, not this vindictive God. You know, at Mission Valley, we do take sin seriously. Meaning, if you're living a life and you're saying, you know what, I don't care what God thinks. I'm forgiven, and I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. Well, of course, you and I are going to have a talk. You and I are going to have a talk. However, for those of you who have made mistakes in your past, we here at Mission Valley also take God's grace and mercy just as seriously as we do um, sin. Because we believe that God has forgiven all of us. We believe that God is a God of mercy. And we need to extend mercy to one another. And we also believe that good will come out of the wrong choices that we made. And finally, we need to give our weaknesses to God. You know, a lot of times we look at our lives and say, you know what, God? You know, I look at the guys in the scripture and man, you know, they were tremendously gifted. They were, they were ordinary people just like us. You know, Pastor Brad Johnson said, give God a man buried in the snow of Valley Forge and God will make a Washington. Give God a man who uh, born in abject poverty and God will stand him in front of a nation and make Lincoln. Give God a man born black in society filled with discrimination and God will make a Martin Luther King Jr. Give God a child who is unable to learn and God will make an Einstein. (laughs) God could do amazing things through each one of our weaknesses. And, you know, in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 um, and 8, the Apostle Paul writes, because of these surpassing great revelations, meaning God gave Paul some pretty awesome revelations, right? And he said, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, we don't know what that thorn was, but it was bad enough for the Apostle Paul to plead three times that God takes it away from him. Because why? He thought it would hinder his ministry. This was his weakness. And he said, God, I don't want to have to deal with this and deal with all of the other problems that I have to deal with. Churches that are disobedient. People who are trying to kill me. You know, and just, would you just take this away? Would you take this away? In verse 9, he says, But he, meaning God, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so Christ's power may rest on me. That was Paul's tap-out moment. You know, one of Paul's tap-out moments. Where he could, God, take this away from me. Take it away from me. And then finally he tapped out. 
and said, okay, God, since you're not going to take this away from me, you know, I'm going to boast in this. Because your power is made perfect when I'm weak. When I'm weak, I am strong. You know, each one of us has to realize that our weaknesses mean nothing to God, right? It may mean be everything to us, but to God, he said, look, I could take you just as you are, and I could make you into something great. If you have the courage to trust me, if you have the courage to surrender to me, I could do something great from you. You know, parents, that promise is the same thing as your kids. This is why, parents, it is so important for us to teach our kids to surrender to God. You know, because we know that our kids aren't perfect. We know that our kids have, you know, weaknesses. But what does God say? He said, I don't care. I don't care. You know, I can make your kids great despite their weaknesses. And that will give me even more glory that when you see somebody with certain weaknesses and just, boom, God makes them great. How could he do that? How could a person who was born in poverty become the president of the United States? How could somebody who has a learning disability, who had problems learning, become an Einstein and develop the theory of relativity? Now that's what impresses people. So parents, parents, it's important for you to understand that concept. Right? Don't get on your kids for their weaknesses. Pray every single day that God will take that weakness and God will make them great. And then the world will see wow, look what God did in my child. Because there's no way my child could have done that on his own. Parents, that's the attitude that we have to have. So, what's the weekly challenge this week? Is every day give God a wor- <clears throat> give God a worry, a wound, or a wrong you've committed, or a dream? You know, right now as you're sitting here, are you wounded? Did somebody wound you? Well, give that to God. You know, are you still bothered by something you did in the past, and you're fearful that if it got out, that this church would turn on you? Give that to God. Or if you feel God, you know what? I want to serve you, but I'm really not that good. I don't have that much talent. Give that God to you. Now, this is key. Ask someone. It doesn't have to be this week. Maybe down the road, but ask someone to help you keep accountable in keeping your past in the past. Okay? Because that could come up so much when, oh, you just don't know me. But then get somebody to live in your life, to speak God's truth in you, to leave that in the past. God's forgiven you about it. God's forgiven you. And he remembers it no more. Next one. It says, pray for someone you know who is having difficulty trusting God's mercy and goodness in their life. Maybe you know somebody that you see is gifted, but for whatever reason, something's keeping them back. Pray for them that um, they could trust in God's mercy and his goodness. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you are a God of mercy, that you are a God of potential, not a God that sees our weaknesses and 
writes us off. And there might be some in this room right now who feel written off. You know, they understand their shape, their spiritual gifts, their passion, their abilities, their personality, and their experiences. And they're excited about that. Father, this new revelation. But they're afraid of moving forward because of all of the things that are holding them back. You know, if you're struggling with something, you know, right now, where you're just saying, God, this is mine. I don't trust you. I pray that this could be your moment today, right now, when you tap out and you say, God, I surrender. I give up control of this one area in my life. Knowing that you are a sovereign God. That you are in control of all things. And Father, that you are a good God. Would you just tap out this morning and surrender to a God who loves you. Surrender to a God who shows mercy to you. And surrender to a God who says, you know what, I made you for great things if you could only trust me. Would you do that right now? Just tap out to him, whatever's holding you back. God, we want to boldly go before you and live out the life that you created us to live. And Father, we realize that we can't do that if we're so worried about the things that hold us back. So Father, this day, we declare this a day of our freedom that we will not let those things hold us back, that you are greater than all of our fears, greater than all of our worries, greater than all of our past mistakes. And Father, you are the one who holds our dreams in your hands. And Father, that you are the one who has a plan that is so much better than we could ever imagine if we only had the faith to trust you and not ourselves. So Father, pray that all of us trust in you and that we do not lean on our own understanding and that in everything we do Father we acknowledge you and believing in faith that you will make our path straight not our path pain free but make our path straight so we could live the life that you wanted us to live Thank you, Lord, for this day. Amen.